main word. It's repeated three times here. Behold is an invitation to look, to notice. Do you see your God? Returning from battle, victorious, crowned with light, riding hard on a, on a galloping horse to bring comfort to his sinful, suffering children, you and me. Theologian Herman Bovink once wrote, to believe is to struggle against the appearance of things. I know things appear dark, desolate. In the midst of it all, do you know what you most need? It's to see. To see God. You need to see God coming to you, the God who advents. Behold your God. But there's something specific that this passage invites us to see and notice about this God who comes near. Did you notice it? It's his arms. His arms. The imagery is found twice, verse 10, verse 11. It links the whole passage together. We're told to notice two things about his arms. That they are arms of mightiness, and they are arms of tenderness. Mightiness and tenderness. First, his arms of mightiness. Look at verse 10 again. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm, there it is, his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. God's arm is a symbol of his strength. Sometimes the Bible will talk about God stretching out his hand or his arm, ready for battle, ready to judge. Sometimes the Bible will refer to his power and ability by use of this metaphor of the arm. Like in verse chapter 59 of the prophet Isaiah, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. You're not out of reach. He can grab a hold of you, rescue you. His ability, his power. Isaiah 52.10 says this, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. Listen, God invites you to watch him flex. It's what he's saying. In other words, in this passage, other expressions support this picture of God's power. He's referred to as the Lord God. That translates one of the biggest titles that we find in the Old Testament for God. It combines a word, Adonai, Lord, with the word Yahweh, his personal covenant name, sometimes it's translated sovereign Lord. The one who governs all things and the one who holds all things together in his hands. We're told he comes with might. We're told his arm rules like a king ready to accomplish all of his redeeming purposes for his people. As one commentator put it, God's arm is his personal strength in action. But here's where we need to be honest. That oftentimes, 
we live with a quiet suspicion that God is weak. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but it's a suspicion. God is weak. He's unable to help you, to rescue you, to forgive you, to too weak to forgive because your sins are just too great, too weak to keep his promises, too weak to rescue you from troubles, too weak to raise you from the dead. But beloved, if we believe that God is mighty and mighty to save, and if we can see his arms of mightiness, then this passage tells us that we can find a newfound freedom, freedom from fear, and, and freedom from an exhausting fighting spirit. We find these words in verse 9, fear not. You see, because if God is fighting for you, and this, if he has won the victory over sin and death and trouble, then you've got nothing left to be afraid of. You may know Jack Grealish, who's a professional footballer, a soccer player in England, and he's a member of the English national soccer team. And recently I saw a video, and you might have seen it too, where he meets a young fan, 11-year-old Finley, who has cerebral palsy. And Finley wrote a, a letter to Jack, as a lot of young fans will often do, to their very favoritist player in the world. And in this video, Jack starts off by just reading the letter that he received from Finley. And the letter starts off by talking about how wonderful a, a footballer he is and how much this kid loves his favorite player. But then he also starts to share a little bit about his own family, his mom. And then he talks about his dad. He says, my dad plays with me in the garden, and he never lets me win. I will one day. And then at that point in the video, Grealish looks up, and he says, well, you're going to have to invite me over, Finley. And then you and me can team up on him, and I'm sure we'll win. Because you know when you know you've got a hero on your team. It doesn't matter who you are. If he's the best one on the field, you're going to win. Listen, if Jesus is on your team, if Jesus has won the victory, it don't matter how weak you are. It don't matter how out of resources you might feel. It doesn't matter how upside down you've turned your life. If Jesus is on your side, fear not. God is with you. David has slain the giant. The rescuer has crushed the head of the serpent. His arm is not too short to save. Fear not and fight not. Fight not. You see, because if Christ has fought for you in your sin and in your trouble, and if now you see your God coming back in victory, you don't need to fight no more. You can exhale. You can stop fighting so hard to prove your worth with every word, with every task, with every assignment. You can rest from your labors 
and from life when it feels like you're just on this treadmill constantly pushing and fighting all uphill. You can stop trying to be your own conqueror, your own rescuer. Listen, evil in this world is strong. Make no bones about it. Indwelling sin in your life is strong. Humanly, you don't have the resources to beat it. It's true, humanly speaking. Darkness in our world, without and within, is relentless and strong. But what's the message of the prophet here in this Advent passage? Is it hit the gym? Get your flex on? No. It's see the arms of the one who has flexed. It's see his might, his victory, his fight. Not yours as you gaze at yourself in the mirror. Look to him. And then you can go to sleep. Some of us hasn't slept in a long, not for real, in a long time. You can rest. You can stop being your own fighting savior. Behold his arms of mightiness. We also find in this passage a second thing to notice, his arms of tenderness. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his, his what? Arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The very same arms of mightiness here are described as arms of tenderness. Same God. Who is a God like our God? Who's both? The picture here is of a tender-armed shepherd and his sheep. Now, before we move on to consider what it teaches us about God, we need to reckon also with what this little image teaches us about us. And it ain't good. Tell you that now. So, of all the animals in the world, with which one did God choose to describe his people, you and me? So you can almost imagine that one day God, from eternity past, laid out all the animals of the world, right? Trying to choose his metaphor to describe us. And he lines them up, puts them sort of on a spectrum in, in order. And so over here, there's a fox. You see, way over here on this side, there's a, a fox. And, and you're like, yeah, that, that's me. Fox, right? Smart sophisticated, a little sneaky, but yeah, that sounds about right. That, that's a fox, right? That's me. That's us. God's people. And then without saying anything, God skips over the fox, moves on down the line just a little bit, and he pauses over the pig. And you are, uh, makes you a little nervous, uh, but you are like, all right, okay, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, pig? Unexpected intelligence. Huh? The underdog. All right, I get it. Yeah, 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 I get it. I'll take it. All right. So we're running with the pig. But then, pure dismay, God keeps going. Keeps going on down the line. 
and you start to get really discouraged when he passes right by the city pigeon, right? <laughs> Keeps on going. And then finally, way over here, way over here, he stops at the sheep. Ah, yeah, the sheep. That's what my people be like, right? Now, I know a lot of you all love sheep. I love them too, right? Cute, cuddly, all that, stuffed animals, all that. But listen, let me tell you something about sheep. You got to understand, people that read this in the first, you know, first original readers, they understood sheep, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, all right? Completely defenseless against predators, prone to wander off and get lost, and then not only that, but not even know that they're lost, and then in being lost, starve and die. This is the sheep that's us. So we're the lamb here in verse 11. And beloved, we know it's not a compliment. It's just the truth about ourselves that we don't want to accept. We are foolish. We are helpless. A town like D.C., sometimes that's the hardest thing to tell the truth about. You, I, we are helpless. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd as sheep. And what a shepherd we have. He will tend his flock, we're told. That means feed them. Give them good grass. Not the stinky grass. The good grass to feed his flock and for them to graze on. He will gather the lambs in his arms, holding them close to them himself, comforting them, protecting them, even, even with his own body, protecting them, you see. And almost for certain, Isaiah's listeners would have heard in this gathering language a promise that they'll soon return home, be restored from exile. As Isaiah 11 had said, God will gather, sheeply language, gather the exiles of Israel, the dispersed of Judah. The shepherd will carry them in his bosom, his chest. As one commentator notes, this is a symbol of intimate loving care. He will gently lead those that are with young, which means he has special concern for the vulnerable. Not only the young lambs themselves, but the mama sheep who are nursing them too. Because sometimes those who care for the weak get weak themselves. Don't they? Don't you? Caregivers, your shepherd sees you. I know it's been long and hard. Your shepherd gently leads you leads you to water, to rest, to refreshment. Man, but we're almost not ready for a tender-armed God like this because we expect a stiff-arming God, and yet God embraces us with open arms. We expect him to want to keep us at an arm's length, getting sick of us or rejecting us because of our moral failings or our sins. 
We expect his mercy to run out. And yet here is a God who is tender, sympathetic towards our weaknesses. Never lashing out or bailing out. His mercy towards us is limitless. No matter how bad you've screwed things up. If you listen to the words of Dane Ortland in his book, I mentioned it before in the past, Gentle and, and Lowly, just a, a sweet, sweet reflection on the gentleness, the tenderness of Christ. Let me read this extensively because it's just so helpful. Different excerpts. Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners like you and me and numbed sufferers like you and me. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and he weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers put his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. This is your God. Some of us today are running away from God because we don't believe that his arms are tender. Some of us are refusing to repent and bring our sins to him, receiving his mercy, because you don't believe his arms are tender. Some of us are, are, are insisting on bearing the burdens of life on your own because you refuse to believe or you've lost sight of the glorious truth that his arms are tender. 11-year-old Finley eventually met Jack Grealish in person. After the reading of that letter, he, they got together, producers worked it out. They got the video of this as well, and while they were talking and sort of exchanging little pleasantries, Jack uh, offered a promise. He said, I'll, I'll do a celebration for you next time I score a goal. Well, what do you want it to be? And Finley said, I'd like you to do the worm. And Jack was like, I can't do the worm. Uh, you, got, you got anything else? How do you want me to celebrate uh, remembering you next time I score a goal? And the kid in good humor, says, well, how about this? And he just sort of flops his arms around, sort of in a silly fashion, swinging his arms, flopping his arms. And Jack said, okay, I'll do it. Last week, first game that England played against Iran. Guess what? Grealish scored a goal. He did. And afterwards, there he was on the pitch, one billion people around the world watching and he raised his arms and did the dance 
I'm convinced God would have done that. God would have done that for his little boy, his little girl. So zealous is he in his delight in you and in me. So shamelessly tender is he. God would have done that and more. Where do we find a God like this? Where where do we find arms like this, both, both mighty and tender, both powerful and gentle? See, usually in life, we've got to choose between those two, whether if it's we're looking for those qualities in other people or we're looking for it in ourselves. We've got to choose. And usually our choice is between harsh, domineering strength on the one hand and well-intentioned but ultimately powerless gentleness on the other hand. Where can we have both and both of the real thing? Behold the one whose mighty hand and outstretched arm delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Behold the one of whom his mother, while she carried him in her womb, sang, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm, scattered the proud, brought down the mighty, exalted the humble. Behold the one who with mighty, infinite, mighty arms still allowed himself to be held at birth in his mother's arms. Behold the one who in his life held little children in his arms, who reached out to touch lepers and the sick and to welcome sinners with open arms. Behold the one who with tenderness let his arms be stretched out with violence as they were pierced by nails on a cross for the salvation of the world and you and me. But don't miss this too. Behold the one who's coming again and who will one more time stretch out his arms, his hands, and wipe every tear from every eye and will bring comfort and healing at last. And when sin and death and darkness will be no more, behold your Jesus. Are you tired? Will you see his arms? Behold your God. You angry? Still fighting? See his arms. Behold your God. You feel weak? Behold your God. You feel helpless? Behold your God. His arm is not too short to save, and his arms are tender. Beloved, before we wrap up here, there's one more thing I want to point out as we close. You notice the passage is a, is a response to news, good news that's been received. It comes to Jerusalem, it comes to Judah. God is coming, behold. But the whole point of the opening part of the passage is go up on a mountain and tell them what you see. 
so that those have be, who've beheld him, who've seen him, will now go up and, and share the good news as new heralds to all the cities of Judah that lie in desolation and waste. Who are the heralds of this passage? Who is it that's commissioned to share good news? You are. I am. We're the heralds. We're the ones that are called to behold and then to call others to see the same thing that you've just seen about this one and only Savior, Jesus. We're called in our lives this Advent season to tell them, to tell people around us, in the pews, in our lives, in our homes, on our blocks, in the neighborhood, across our city, in the world, to tell them that the King has come and he's coming again. And his arms are mighty and tender. Do you know the king? Where you're called to bring comfort to those that need it. Suffering under the weight of the world. Even ourselves being the agents of the arms of God ourselves. Wiping every tear before us. And bringing strength to those that are weak who need whether a, a shoulder to lean on or strong arms to lift them out of what the Bible calls the pit. And some of you feel like you're in a pit. And so we take up this commission, this mantle, and with words and deeds in our homes and on the street, with hospitality and proclamation, with joy, we say, behold your God. Behold your God, heralds of good news. Fleming Rutledge, who wrote a masterful book on Advent, I quoted her last week, writes this, to each and all we bring this announcement, God will come and his justice will prevail and he will destroy evil and pain in all its forms once and forever. Dear friends, do you see that he came? Do you see that he's coming again? Do you see that he's coming towards you even now? Behold your God, dear flock of God. What do you see? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would see Jesus and herald his coming before a world of darkness and desolation. But we can't share and point people to that which we have not seen ourselves. So I pray for an outpouring of glimpses of light in the midst of darkness into every heart here today. Help us to see you, your arms, your tenderness, your mightiness, and help us to love you for it and give you all the glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.